Have you found Acts chapter 20? All right, Paul is in his final meeting with the elders of the church at Ephesus. The word elder is used synonymously with the word bishop and the word pastor. Uh, they are the same uh, words uh, for the same office within the church. Uh, Paul has called them together in a town called Miletus, which is south of Ephesus uh, on an island, and he has a final message for them. Uh, in verse um, 18, he talked about his faithfulness in past persecutions. Let's read just a few verses together. And when they were come to him, he said unto them, Ye know from the first day that I came into Asia, after what manner I have been with you at all seasons. Uh, Paul wasn't a vacillating person, up and down, in and out, off and on, hot and cold. He wasn't one of these guys gung-ho for Jesus one day and then, you know, mad at the world the next. He served the Lord. He was the same at all seasons. Verse 19, serving the Lord with all humility of mind. He had a very lowly spirit about him. He never saw himself uh, as the... Uh, uh, some of us will remember the Shell Answer Man from those old commercials. We just finished, if you're following through the Bible reading schedule, we just finished the book of Job. There was a young man by the name of Elihu. Um, he was uh, younger than all of Job's so-called friends, and he waited till you know, all the older guys got done talking. And then he spent about four chapters himself pontificating and he actually made a statement to the effect the sum of all wisdom is standing in front of you and I thought what an arrogant thing to say Paul never saw himself like that uh, uh, serving the Lord with all humility of mind and with many tears and temptations which befell me by the lying in wait of the Jews uh, we've talked in the past about how Ephesus there were a lot of hardships there. Paul referred to it as fighting with beasts. He told the Corinthians that he was pressed out of measure while he was there. He even despaired of life. He goes into no greater detail than that, but it was a rough three years of ministry there. In verse 20, not only was he faithful in the midst of persecution, he was faithful in his preaching. And how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and have taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, Paul was a faithful preacher, the whole counsel of God. Um, he, he didn't pick and choose what he was gonna preach from the Bible because he believed as he wrote to Timothy, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. And he said, and I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you. We know that the church in Ephesus was one of the greatest soul winning churches in history to, to the point that everybody in Asia had heard the word of God uh, through the ministry of that church. Uh, we left off at verse 21 a couple of Wednesday nights ago. Verse number 22 is where we're going to pick it up tonight. And here we see Paul's faithfulness in his prospects. Faithfulness in his prospects. And now, behold, I go bound in the spirit. That's a little letter S, correct? So that's not talking about the Holy Spirit. That's talking about in his spirit. 
Behold now, or, and now behold, I go bound in the spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there, save that the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. Now we're gonna read another verse or two in this particular section, but Paul has a spiritual foreboding, if you will. There's a burden on his heart and he believes that he is supposed to go to Jerusalem. He's bound in the spirit. There's a conviction that he has. Some have criticized Paul at this point in his life saying that he was disobedient to the Holy Spirit of God, that, that God didn't want him to go to Jerusalem, but there's really no evidence to support that. It does not, it does not line up with his character. He was a man who, if any person was yielded to the Holy Spirit, it was the Apostle Paul. He's the man in 1 Corinthians 15 who said, I die daily. Um, turn, if you would, please, to 2 Corinthians. Keep your place in, in um, Acts 20. We'll be back there. 2 Corinthians. And... Um, let me see, I think I want you there. Um, I love it when I know where I want you, but I can't find where I want you. And you just, you just uh, play Yahtzee or something while I'm figuring it out. Um, da -da -da -da. I can't find it. Um, forgive me on that. It, let's try 1 Corinthians. I'll see if I can redeem myself from this. And I'm probably not. Um, Paul had made a statement, and I, and I apologize. I, I wrote it down wrong. Uh, Paul had made a statement in one of his letters that... Um, his desire was that Christ should be magnified in his body, whether it be by life or by death. That was Paul's heartbeat. To say that all of a sudden at this juncture, you have this man that is yielded to the Holy Spirit who's now disobeying the Holy Spirit uh, repeatedly does not fit with Paul's character. Paul has a burden. He does not necessarily tell us why he felt so burdened to go to Jerusalem. Some have thought that it's because he was carrying, he and his companions, a large financial gift for the persecuted, impoverished church in the city of Jerusalem. There had been offerings taken up in, in Macedonia. Uh, we know that the, the church at Corinth contributed to that and that Paul and his companions were entrusted uh, with that and that possibly Paul just felt a great sense of responsibility and obligation to see that the offering got there safely. Uh, he, he took that, that, that uh, very, very serious in his own mind. We're not quite sure, but he was bound in the spirit about going to Jerusalem. It sort of reminds me of Nehemiah. In Nehemiah chapter one, and I know I'm right on this one, 
Uh, Nehemiah's brother Hanani and some companions had traveled to the city of Jerusalem and returned back uh, to Shushan the palace where Nehemiah was the king's cupbearer. Nehemiah inquired of them of the state of Jerusalem and they reported the walls are broken down, uh, the gates are burned, the people that live there are living in poverty, they have no security, their enemies run rampant over them. And from that time forward, Nehemiah carried a burden in his heart. He began to fast and to pray um, and, and he did so for a period of about four months or so. Nehemiah had that same sense of being bound in the spirit. There's no sense in Nehemiah chapter one that, that he had decided, I'm gonna go back and build the wall. At some point, God did apparently lay that in his heart, but at the beginning, it was just he carried a burden uh, for the, uh, the uh, Jerusalem, uh, the place of his, of his homeland and so forth. And Paul's got this burden on him. Along the way in verse 23, the Holy Spirit began to forecast some things about this journey. He said, I not knowing, uh, not knowing the things that shall befall me there, save that the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. Everywhere that we've read now that Paul has stopped on this journey, he said in every city, somehow the Holy Spirit sent a message to Paul that when he gets to Jerusalem, bonds and afflictions, uh, uh, they're awaiting him. He is about to suffer for his Savior. Now, he suffered hardships before. He's been beaten. He was thrown in prison at Philippi. He was stoned and left for dead or killed at Lystra. Uh, he has been drummed out of synagogue after synagogue. Persecution is nothing new to him, but these appear just by the terminology, long-term imprisonment awaits him. Um, the Holy Spirit is letting him know all of those things. Um, I got saved in, in 1972. I surrendered my life to the ministry in 1974. Um, at, at that time, as a, as a teenager, I had no idea uh, what the next uh, five decades were going to hold for me. Um, some of them have been, a lot of it, the majority of it, uh, the vast majority has been amazing and wonderful. Uh, I've traveled different parts of the world and I've preached on a couple different continents. Uh, I, I've been able to start a church, got to be a youth pastor, got the pastor here. Uh, I, I could, lots and lots of amazing things that have happened, uh, more answers to prayer than I could possibly even recall to memory. But without a doubt, as with you along the way, there have been some difficulties that I never envisioned. Difficulties, I don't know if they would have happened if I'd have done my own thing or not. Uh, I don't know that they're necessarily a result of having surrendered to the will of God. But I'm glad that God doesn't tell us everything that's in our future because we, we do have some difficult times and, and so forth. Um, uh, that's what the, the, the thing called trust is all about. I just have to trust God with the step I'm taking now and trust that he knows what the next step is after that and not worry anything beyond that. Here's a case that it, it would appear the Lord is preparing Paul, helping him understand, get ready, 
some difficulties are coming your way. Um, we are taught in 2 Timothy that we are to endure hardness as good soldiers of Jesus Christ. We don't necessarily have to know how that hardness is going to come into our lives, but we are told to expect it. Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 3, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer what? Persecution. In America, we don't know much about that. We're starting to get tastes of that as our culture becomes more and more a post-Christian culture. But the Bible says we're really supposed to be ready for it so that when it comes, we are not destroyed by it. Years and years ago, when I was in, in upstate New York, in, in uh, Palmyra at the Heritage Baptist Church there, we had a soccer team that we started for our Christian school. Pastor Young, who was with us a month or so ago, uh, he was a high school and college athlete. Tennis and soccer were two of his big sports. So he was the soccer coach. If anybody's played soccer, what do you do more than anything in soccer? You run. In a game, you might get to kick the ball once or twice, but most of the time, you run. And uh, we had enough guys in our school uh, to, to field a team, and we had one sub. You know, sort of if somebody broke their ankle, passed out, we could put somebody else in, and that was, that was it. Uh, if somebody was absent that day uh, or, or at, on academic probation, I mean, we, we just barely had enough to field a team. And man, the complaining, running laps and all those kind of things. Uh, you, you just thought the world ended uh, and the grumbling. We came here to play soccer and all he's got us doing is run and run and run. And then came the first game. And uh, oh my goodness, you thought the whining in practice was bad. Uh, I remember uh, one kid named Preston running down the field, uh, almost begging Pastor Young to take him out of the game because he was going to pass out uh, and all that kind of stuff. And uh, all of a sudden they realized that all the running in practice was helping them endure the hardness of the game. We need to understand that there's a lot of our Christian life is practice for the big game. And, and the Lord sometimes puts us through some trials and some difficulties where we have to learn how to take a stand. And maybe we have to lose some friends along the way or, or, or make a difficult decision, something like that. That's just, that's just practice. Our world is getting more and more corrupt um, at breakneck speed. I don't know if you read about this. Um, I, I don't follow the Christian music, um, uh, like their billboard, their charts and stuff like that. I don't follow contemporary Christian music at all um, and so forth. But do you know what? That, that the number one song last week on the contemporary Christian music charts was a song by a drag queen. bunch of so-called Christian people buying that garbage and funding that abomination of a lifestyle. Um, and that's, that's coming from Christians. What are we going to expect from the world? Uh, you know, we want the world to like us and we want the world to vote the way we want them to. It ain't going to happen. 
Uh, Jesus is coming soon and, and uh, evil men and seducers are going to wax worse and worse and iniquity is going to abound. Uh, are, are we going to be ready to stand? So Paul is getting the forewarning from the Holy Spirit. He knows he's supposed to go. Um, and, and whether he knows why, uh, we're not sure. He just bound in his spirit. He's supposed to go. Uh, the Holy Spirit has probably somebody came up, maybe a preacher said, I have a word from the Lord for you. Or somehow the Holy Spirit communicated with him. Bonds and afflictions are awaiting for you there. Look at verse 24. This is an astounding statement. But none of these things move me. They don't alter my course. Um, I'm, I'm here to stay. I, I'm, I'm not afraid. I, I'm, not, I'm not ready to turn tail and run. None of these things move me. Neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. Of God. That is an incredible statement. None of these things move me. What does it take to get you out of sorts with God? What does it take to get you out of church? What does it take for you to stop serving God? What kind of disappointment or frustration or failure? What, what is it? Paul said, None of these things, bonds, imprisonment, none of, the, none of that changes me. I, my mind is made up. I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back. Turn to Psalm 16, Psalm 16. We'll see if I wrote this one down right. Psalm 16. Please look at verse number eight. This is a Psalm of David. He said, I have set the Lord always before me. Keep God right in front of me. I don't set God on a back burner. I, I don't put God away like a genie in the lamp until I need him and then I rub three times and get my wish. I have set the Lord always before me. That means the Lord's in leadership. The Lord's in control because he is at my right hand, I shall not be what? Moved. You understand? David is making a similar commitment to the Lord as Paul did. I shall not be moved. If you're in Psalm, turn to Psalm 62. I got one right. Let's see if I have another one. Psalm 62, verse 1. Also a psalm of David. Truly my soul waiteth upon God. From him cometh my salvation. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be greatly moved. Look down, if you would, to verse number six. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be moved. Over and over in this one little psalm, David refers to God as his rock and as his refuge and as his defense. And twice he makes that statement, I'm not going to be moved. Um, Lester Roloff used to teach this little song when he went out. If you ever heard him, it's a battlefield, brother, not a recreation room. It's a fight 
and not a game. Run if you want to, run if you will, but I came here to stay. How many ever heard him do that? Um, and uh, Lester Ola, by the way, lived that. He went to prison for his faith in the United States of America. Um, and uh, uh, Paul is making that statement. None of these things move me. Look what he said after that. Neither count I my life dear unto myself. Our problem is, is we think our lives are too important. We're too important. We love ourselves too much. We, we, we have our best interests always at heart. Um, rather than what does God want? What does God want? Paul said, I don't count my life dear unto myself. Um, in, in other words, Paul came to some place in his life where he said, it's no longer about me. It's all about the Lord. God made me for a purpose. David said, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made and that my soul knoweth right well. God made me. God made you. God made us for a distinct purpose, a, a, a reason. God left us here after he saved us for specific reasons. Um, and what does the uh, first Corinthians say? And ye are not your own. But to hear the average Christian talk, we are our own. It's my money. It's my hard-earned money. It's my car. It's my house. Bible says ye are not your own. If you're not your own, then none of your stuff is either. Um, how much stuff are we going to take to heaven with us? How many of your cars going? How many of your money's going? Um, clothes. Um, dog. Snake. They're definitely not going. Right, Mrs. Clack? But to hear us talk and the decisions that we make, it is ours. But the Bible says you're not, you're, you are not your own. You're bought with a price, with the precious blood of Christ. We belong to him. We're to glorify God in our body and in our spirit, which are God's. Paul had that settled. Bonds and imprisonment didn't bother him because he had already decided whatever God wants, God gets. We look at people like the Apostle Paul. We read through his story throughout the book of Acts and, and what we glean from the writings of the epistles. And we see this incredible Christian man. He is, he is held up as a role model for us. Uh, he is a man to whom the Lord appeared in person over and over again, including his, his trial with Nero. We read about that in 2 Timothy chapter 4. He was a man whom God used to write words of divine inspiration for us. But you understand, Paul decided at some point in his life, whatever God wants, God gets. And, and that's what makes me happy, is to make God happy. Turn, if you would, Philippians chapter 1. I had a hard time for many years identifying with Paul. He's a brainiac, and I'm not. Uh, he writes in run-on sentences that gives the average English teacher cross eyes. He, he, can, he can have a thought within a thought within a thought wrapped in two or three more different thoughts, and it's still a good thought. You know, he, he just, uh, a, a hugely intelligent man uh, and so forth, but the more, the older I get in the Lord, the more I step back in utter admiration of the simplicity of his faith. 
Look what he says first. I'm sorry, Philippians chapter one. This is a prison letter. Verse 12. But I would ye should understand, brethren, that the things which have happened unto me have fallen out rather under the furtherance of the gospel, so that my, what's the next word? Bonds in Christ. What did the Holy Spirit say awaited him in Jerusalem? Bonds and imprisonment. Well, years have gone by. Years have gone by, and he's been in bonds the whole time. He's been in bonds the whole time. He's in Rome. He's uh, stood before Nero once. Um, and, and we know from Timothy, he's been forsaken by all of his companions at the first hearing. Um, he, he suffered shipwreck, uh, all kinds of things we'll, we'll still study in the book of Acts. He says, the things which have happened unto me have fallen out rather under the furtherance of the gospel, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. And many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident by my what? Bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ even of envy and strife. That means there are people that are making fun of my message and making fun of the little preacher from, from Jerusalem and the resurrection of Jesus and all of that. And some also of goodwill. Others are saying, oh, that man's telling the truth. Uh, it, 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 is, it is reality. And, and, and Jesus changed my life. The one preached Christ of contention, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my bonds, but the other of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. What then? Notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. Read the last part of verse 18 with me. And I therein do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. Can we tell me what the key word of Philippians is? Rejoice. What's the key verse? Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Folks, you can only rejoice the way Paul is here if you've already settled the fact that your life is not your own. Otherwise, you're looking back on it saying, man, I, I, I used to be respected and I used to have nice clothes and I used to have a good income and, and, and everybody came to me and all of that and then I, then I started following Jesus and now I'm in prison. I've been in prison for years and I'm, I'm never getting out and I'm gonna die. If you haven't settled that in your life that I belong to Jesus and that's the best thing that I can ever do with my life, you'll never be able to rejoice in these moments. Paul had it settled. We are familiar with the story of Jim Elliott and his four companions who in January of 1956 suffered a martyr's death at the hands of uh, a tribe of, of native Indians in the country of Ecuador. Their story has been immortalized in the, in the novel Through Gates of Splendor. Their story of their death uh, as soon as it, it, it became well, uh, well known, was uh, transmitted around the, the world by every news media uh, in the day. Uh, it is said that the year after that they, they died, the following fall, there were a thousand new missionary candidates that entered uh, Bible colleges all across the United States, uh, stepping up to the plate. Those five missionaries knew that where they were going was deadly dangerous. They knew it. The reputation of the Alka Indians were that they were cannibals. 
Ironically, the Indians later told that the reason they killed the missionaries is they thought that they were cannibals. They were warned by their mission board not to go in, not to go near these people. They had a fearsome reputation. But Jim Elliott and, and, and the other men involved in that all believed that the gospel is supposed to go to every creature, including the Alka Indians. They worked for months and months and months on the plan, carrying out the plan until they found uh, the tribe. They went back and... We know that within 24 hours, all five of them stepped out into eternity. By the way, it was no waste of life. It was no waste of life. Sometime later, two of the widows went back in, uh, Elizabeth Elliot being one of them. Nate Saint's uh, uh, wife, I believe, may have been another that went back in. And they actually led that entire tribe of people to Christ. Uh, and that's, that's why the story just ha has... has uh, lingered for these last 70 years or so. That's a big price to pay, but Jim Elliott kept a journal. When he was a student at Moody Bible Institute uh, back in the 1940s as a very young man, he wrote in his journal the statement, he said, only one life so soon will be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. He also wrote, he is no fool who gives that which he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. How did those five men have the courage and the faith to walk into that jungle knowing full well that they might die in the process? Because somewhere in their past, they got it settled. I belong to Jesus. I belong to Jesus. Um, those of you that have been around here for a while, you met my wife and you knew her. I'm not sure if I ever told you of a conversation that we had, but when we went to Mexico um, and we were there for a month, the Lord gave me the opportunity to preach in chapel. The, the, the director of the hospital, Dr. Contreras, is a born-again Christian. His father, who founded the hospital, born-again Christian. Um, every day uh, in the treatment room, they brought in a local pastor. He wasn't an independent Baptist, but uh, definitely a born-again man, loved the Lord, and, and he would share in both English and Spanish scripture songs, uh, scripture verses, uh, things like that, uh, just playing softly on the guitar, working with people. Uh, he would come in and help in the Sunday services, and I got to preach while I was there on a couple different occasions. Most everybody that came to that hospital came with a companion. Um, I, I came with Trina, and we stayed in the same room in the hospital. It was set up like a hotel-slash-hospital room. Uh, there was one lady uh, from uh, Canada, and she came with her eldest son. There was another lady uh, from San Diego who came with her son. But there were two ladies there who were single. They came by themselves. One was a lady uh, from uh, Western Australia called the Western Authority. Her name was Allison. Trina met her on our first day. And if you remember Trina, Trina did not know strangers. She only knew new best friends that she hadn't met until now. And her and Allison uh, became friends. And when Trina realized Allison was by herself, uh, Trina would often invite her to take walks with us down to the Pacific Ocean or, or, or whatever. 
um, and we had our meals together down in the, the dining area and so forth. Um, Allison had never been inside of a church in her entire life. Uh, Allison was in her 40s, had never been in a church. She had never been in a church for a wedding, for a funeral, for a baptism, for anything. It really wasn't part of the culture she grew up in in Australia. Um, Allison had cancer in, in several parts of her body. The doctors felt like things were under control, but she came there because she wanted to do everything she could uh, in an effort to beat the cancer. Trina had to start at the beginning with the gospel because Allison had no concept of who God was, of who Jesus was, and so forth. And so it was a, it was a, a long process to, to help her understand. Several days into it, maybe a week or so into it, another single lady uh, from, uh, I believe she came from Oregon, came. Her name was Renee. Renee was in the final stages of cancer. Uh, she had been through all the chemotherapy that uh, the doctors were allowing her to have. She had had all the radiation she could have. Uh, she had no hair left in her head, no eyebrows, nothing like that. Uh, she was in a wheelchair. She uh, could get up and she could walk slowly, but only if there were people there to make sure that she was safe. And she came to the Oasis of Hope Hospital as a last resort, hoping that anything might give her a little bit more time, hoping against hope that there might be a cure. And because Allison and um, Renee were the only two single people. They had a couple single rooms at one end of, of the hospital floor and they put them right across the hall from each other. And so Allison took it upon herself, uh, if you will, to sort of be Renee's companion. And so she would bring her down for meals, uh, take her to the treatment rooms and, and uh, just keep company with her and so forth. Uh, they would sit and watch television in the evening, uh, you know, things like that. And they became fast friends. And so it became uh, Allison and Renee and Trina at, at the meals. And they would, they would just talk. And oftentimes an hour after lunch was over, uh, all the treatments were usually done for the day by then. Um, uh, Trina would be sitting there and she'd be talking to them and she'd be planting seeds. Sometimes it'd be both of us. Uh, but, but being a cancer patient, Trina sort of had their ear a little bit more. Um, and we prayed nightly for those two ladies, prayed daily for them to get saved. It was a long process for both of them. Well, Dr. Contreras asked me if I would speak on a Sunday, and so Trina used that as an opportunity. She said to Allison and Renee, she said, they have a church service at 11 o'clock. They had a, a beautiful little chapel there. She said, my favorite preacher in all the world's going to be speaking. You need to come hear him. And uh, yes, yeah, she was referring to me in case you're wondering who it was. And sure enough, that Sunday morning, um, Allison and Renee came and uh, they, they sat beside each other and uh, Trina sat beside uh, Renee and then Allison was on the other side of Renee. Um, and I stood up to preach. Dr. Contreras asked me when I was done if I would allow him to conduct the invitation because there were people there that uh, from a lot of Latin American countries and he wanted to re-speak some things uh, in Spanish to make sure they understood. And in the process, 
That man gave the gospel better than any Baptist preacher that I've ever heard. He's, a, he's an, uh, an oncologist by trade. And I'm telling you, I sat in awe of the clarity, the, the power and the simplicity with which he shared the gospel. And there were about 35 or 40 folks uh, in the chapel that morning. Um, and at the end of, of what he shared with them, uh, he led folks in prayer if they would like to receive Christ as Savior. And of course, Trina and I had been praying all through the service, and especially as he went through the gospel very clearly uh, again at the end to make sure everybody understood. And he's led in prayer. Um, we heard two voices praying. Sitting right next to Trina was Renee, and in a quiet, feeble voice, Renee was praying and received Christ as Savior. And on the other side of her, in a much stronger voice, I could hear it. I heard Allison with that beautiful Australian accent praying to receive Jesus Christ as Savior. Trina and I, tears coming down our face. It was an amazing moment. Trina reached over and grabbed my hand and leaned into me and she whispered these words. This is why I have cancer. What just happened, this is why. Can you let that sink in? I didn't share that for a long time. But that's, that comes from someone who at some point surrendered it all to the Lord. Many of you have heard the story of those two ladies getting saved. For those who don't, the next morning at breakfast, Allison and Renee were very late coming down. And finally, Allison came all by herself. And she looked upset and somebody just asked as she approached our table, where's Renee? And Allison sat down and began to cry and said, Renee passed away at two o'clock this morning. She got saved Sunday afternoon, a little afternoon, and went to heaven, what, 12, 13, 14 hours later. Ain't God good? Paul said, none of these things move me. Neither count I my life dear to myself that I might finish my course with joy. God, ha God has a course laid out for me. He has a course laid out for you. Paul said, I want to finish my course with joy. I don't want to be somebody who started and then quit because the going got tough. I don't want to be somebody who started but quit because, well, nobody else was doing it, so I didn't want to be the only one. He said, I want to finish my course with joy. Question, does anybody know whether or not he finished his course? Does anybody know? You can give me Bible for it. You're not sure. 2 Timothy 4. And that's it, Jeremy. Thank you. 2 Timothy 4. This is the end of his life. This is years later. The same man who told the elders of Ephesus, I want to finish my course with joy, said in 2 Timothy 4 and verse 7, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. Paul was sure of a crown of righteousness. You do know they don't give out the, the awards till the end of the race, right? Um, Paul ran his race. It's up to us now. It's up to us to finish our course with joy. 
There is more that Paul has to say um, in, in this final message to them. Um, wisdom, uh, I would like to just get into it uh, tonight. I, I believe the Holy Spirit is speaking to our hearts about some things, but wisdom says let's wait and uh, do it justice. And so we're going to stop there tonight. Go back one more time if you kept your place in Acts chapter 20. And just hear the words of this man, verse 22. And now behold, I go bound in the spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there, save that the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. We would easily go somewhere if they said a new car was waiting for you. Or if a check for a million dollars was waiting on you. He said, the Holy Spirit has let me know in every city I go to, bonds and afflictions abide me. Verse 24, but none of these things move me. I know I'm supposed to be there. Neither count I my life dear unto myself so that I might finish my course with joy in the ministry which I've received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. I want the spirit. I want the heart. I want the commitment, dedication that the Apostle Paul had. We need to pray there. Father, thank you for this man and his testimony.